And part of you were like, let's do it. Let's double time. Let's, let's, let's get this going. So thank you, worship team. Uh, we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ on this wonderful Palm Sunday. Uh, super, super happy to see all of you here this morning. When we talk about voices, you don't normally, I think, think of stones communicating, right? I think we could probably agree to that. We'd say, okay, like, stones are not the best communicator. Is that fair to say? Okay, right? If somebody has ever called you stone-faced, right, it's because you're just not communicating much of anything, right? So um, sometimes maybe people call you a rock, right? which means you're not communicating a lot of things. That's generally true, um, but there are times, I think, when stones can communicate something. I put it this way, they can communicate some message to some degree. How many of you here have ever been to Washington, D.C.? Have some that have toured it? Okay, wonderful. Um, So uh, if you know anything about Washington, D.C. and those that have toured Washington, D.C., um, it was originally laid out in the late 1700s. Um, I believe it was, uh, oh shoot, now I'm going to get my stats wrong. I think 100 square miles. Does that sound accurate? I think that's what it is. But it was a perfect square, right? So you can see picture of it here. There's the Potomac River. Uh, Washington, D.C., District of Columbia was going to be laid out, and it was supposed to be a perfect 100-mile square. Well, if you decide your city is going to be a 100-mile square, you need to have something that kind of designates that that's what it is. So for those of you that have been to Washington, D.C., have you ever seen or toured any of the boundary stones in Washington, D.C.? Any of you? You're like, some of you are searching your memory. Like, did we go there? It was busy, right? So maybe, maybe not. I mean, my guess is uh, if you go to D.C., like the boundary stones of Washington, D.C. are not like top of the list, right? There's other things that you're going to try to do. There's other things that you're going to try to see, and yet uh, they're kind of fascinating. So when they laid out Washington, D.C., they also laid out 40 boundary stones because they wanted to make sure that this perfect square was laid out exactly and everyone would know where it was at. And so they laid out 40 boundary stones to mark off the city. Those stones uh, were relatively heavy, uh, some of them up to as much as half a ton, right? Which makes sense because if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, how big were these stones and can I throw one in my pickup? No, right? So that's, that's what they were thinking. They're like, okay, so we're going to make them pretty big. But the point of these boundary stones was to say, um, now you have entered Washington, D.C. So you are now within our borders to a sense, or in a sense, right? Now, over the years, I think that the latest tally is there's only 32 of those boundary stones remaining. Uh, so somebody, they didn't have pickups, but somebody like somehow picked one up and put it in their cart and wagon, right? Um, but there's about 32 of them that are still remaining. Uh, some of them have st- kind of started to, to deteriorate. Uh, I think they have decided that they need to keep them somewhat safe. So this is a picture of one of them. Uh, nearly every one of them has, uh, you know, fencing around it now to, to keep them safe. So these boundary stones... Uh, They're not the best communicators, but on some level they do communicate something, right? At least on the surface, they are communicating that you have now entered the District of Columbia, right? They're communicating to you a boundary line of sorts. Some of these communicate a little bit more. 
So this one's got 1792 on it, so that at least communicates when it was laid there, right? You got a pretty good guess, okay, this is when this stone was put here. This next one, if you can see this, says Maryland Jurisdiction. So some of the stones would actually have carved into them uh, which were the opposing states on either side, right? And then, if you're really nerdy like me, you read every last plaque that you, that's there. And then your kids pull you along because they're like, come on, let's move on. These are just stones. And I'm like, no, I got to read this plaque. Like somebody printed it. It must be important, right? So, so some of them, you can even find plaques, which will give you a little bit more information. But in general, stones are probably not the best communicators. If you came across one of these boundary stones, it could tell you, it could tell you something, but not everything, right? It can give you some information, but it can't take you all the way. So today, we want to talk about how we communicate in our words, in our actions, and with the things we choose to do with our lives. Jesus, in our Palm Sunday text, replies to the Pharisees that if we don't share, the stones will cry out. Today, I want us to ask of ourselves what message, what cries, what communication do we give to the world in which we live? And so our theme this morning is simply going to be when stones speak, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about that. How can we share the message of Christ? Now, our text this morning, you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Uh, you're going to find it printed for you in your bulletin. Uh, you also see it on the screen kind of as I go through it. Uh, but we want to set the scene just a little bit to understand exactly the historical setting into which uh, uh, Palm Sunday takes place. So uh, if you think about those boundary stones, can it, they can at least give you a setting that you're in Washington, D.C. and give you a time. I think that's important for us here today as well. And as we go through this text, it's going to loosely break up into kind of three sections. So it's important for us on Palm Sunday, if we are celebrating Palm Sunday um, and we have come here to hear the story of Palm Sunday, uh, we need to know what it's about, right? So the first one is we just need to know, right? The second one, we want to talk about uh, um, how are we going to speak? How do our lives speak? And the last one, we'll talk specifically about uh, that, how we're going to share that message with the world around us. So those are kind of loosely the three areas that we're going to go through. So to get started, what do we know? You're welcome to join with me here if you want. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 37, which kind of sets the scene uh, for what's going on in our text says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethphage and, the, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the very last time. He won't leave the holy city of Jerusalem. Uh, that will be the place that he dies. But this is the start of that week of Passover. Take a look in your bulletin. You can kind of see it on the screen here today. Uh, some of you that have been around here at CVL over the past few years know that I think, I think almost every year I print this out for you. And it, it's, a, it's a timeline and a spatial map of what happens during Holy Week. Now, if you're looking at that map, if you've got it open in your bulletin, go to the bottom right-hand corner and you're going to see where we are at in our Holy Week as Christians today on Palm Sunday. So, specifically the triumphal entry number three. And you can kind of see visually how they are coming into Jerusalem from Bethany and Bethphage. 
Jesus, his disciples, his followers are entering in this way. Bethany and Bethphage are interesting in the, in the context of Scripture because it seems to be a place that Jesus went to and stayed regularly. Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus all lived there. So Jesus would quite often go to their home and spend the night there, eat food with them. They were people that he considered friends, almost family, right? And so before this Palm Sunday, that's where Jesus was staying. And today he enters into Jerusalem. Now, the timing of this entry is important for us to understand as well. You heard me talk to the kids a little bit that this was the time of the Passover. And it was huge, right? Literally, you could wrap all of your celebrations into one, and that was the week of Passover for the Jews and for the Israelites, right? So birthdays, Christmas, Easter, all in one. And you had guests in your home for a full week, right? So you're like, okay, when is this Passover done, <laughs> right? A week's kind of a long time, especially if you are uh, kind of overloaded with family and friends, but imagine the memories that kind of came from that as well. Uh, they estimate that Jerusalem at this time, uh, some estimates had it about 700 to 800,000 was its normal uh, population kind of uh, um, center. During the Passover, they estimate that it may have swelled to almost 2 million people, 2 to 2.5 million people. So imagine that overwhelming your city. Imagine your homes and all of your family and relatives come to stay with you, right? Incredible amounts of, of chaos, but incredible amounts of joy. And my guess is that's true for you as well, right? For, for as, as hard as it is at times having lots of family and friends in our homes or with us, right, or on a Palm Sunday, Sunday morning, wrangling all the kids, trying to get everybody going in a common direction. Um, as chaotic as all of that is, I don't know that any of us would change it after the fact. Some of your best memories are probably from gatherings with family and friends. Right? I know it's true of me as well. And so that was Passover at this time, filled with people. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. What's important is at the beginning of that Passover week, that was the time when you chose your uh, sacrificial lamb or doves if you couldn't afford the lamb. And so on that, uh, that Palm Sunday, that original Palm Sunday, um, everyone in Jerusalem would have been picking out their lamb for their sacrifice to be able to celebrate, uh, to be able to eat their Passover meal at the end of the week. Not coincidentally, not by chance, Jesus, as our Passover lamb, was entering into Jerusalem for the very last time. Not by chance, not by accident. And that's important for us to know as believers. Zechariah had prophesied, this is how your Messiah would enter. Right? And not just Zechariah, but uh, countless prophecies from the Old Testament said who Jesus was, how he would enter Jerusalem, and most importantly, what he would accomplish on our behalf. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end, in a sense. Christ was fulfilling that prophecy. Now, why is it important for us, for you, to know that? It's because Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross was not left to chance. It was left to Christ. He fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. He faithfully walked, and in this case, rode, ultimately, to his death on the cross. 
So that's the first thing we know as believers. But we go on. Uh, Welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. I'm going to read for you um, verse 37. It says this, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They quoted Zechariah. said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They call out. They lay palm branches and their cloaks and their clothes at his feet. And they say, Hosanna in the highest. And more specifically, they quote the Old Testament saying, this is the promised Savior. Now, do you think that everyone in that crowd knew exactly what they were saying? It's hard to say. In fact, uh, to be honest, theologically speaking, exegetically speaking, we're not actually sure, right? Uh, Did everyone in that crowd know that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah that was to come and place their faith and their trust in him? I don't think we can say yes to that. I think there was a spectrum of those that were praising Christ as he came in. Some certainly were there. Some were there that were believers that knew the Old Testament prophecies and said Jesus fits this to a T. Our Messiah has finally come. The long-promised Messiah that God had given to us. He is here. He is riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there were certainly believers that were there, included Jesus' own uh, 12 disciples, Mary, Martha, and all of his family and friends. They were there. But I think there was a spectrum too. Probably there were those that were there that were calling out in a loud voice using these words and yet maybe didn't understand the depth of it. Maybe they had seen Jesus' miracles. They had seen him raise people from the dead, feed 5,000, turn water into wine. They had heard of his exploits in the Galilean countryside. And now he's coming to the Passover in Jerusalem. Now they can get their eyes on him and they hear people cheering and they hear people saying, Hosanna in the highest. And so they do the same. And so they were speaking, but did they know the extent of the message that they were saying? I'm not sure. And there were still others in that crowd on that Palm Sunday that were enemies of Jesus, that maybe weren't cheering, but were actively finding ways to persecute Christ and were in that moment putting into place the steps that would lead to Jesus' death. And so as you imagine yourself in that crowd, It was a little bit of mixed messaging, wasn't it? The chant was the same, but everybody was understanding it and maybe even communicating it in slightly different ways. Here's the thing. I think we can understand that. Because I think there are times when what we communicate is not necessarily consistent with what we believe. I would say that there are times when um, the things we do, the things we choose not to, to do, the way we use our time and our energies communicates something different than what we would speak with our mouths, okay? I've got three areas where I think it's important for us to consider that, right? We talk about our finances. How do we use the physical blessings that God has given us? You can do a mental calculation in your head right now. You don't have to close your eyes, but I do because I'm bad at math. But think through your budget. 
If you had your, your, your credit card, if you had every purchase that you made uh, over the past year in front of you visually, where did you use the gifts God has given you? What were the largest chunks? What were the largest expenses? Right? I think it's an important thing to consider. Now consider where your gifts that God has given you went, where your money went to, in comparison to how you would rank those things, right? As far as importance level. How much of those finances went to multiple, multiple streaming services? Too many. <laughs> Every one of my kids likes a different TV station. So I say, ah, we gotta get rid of some of these. They're like, oh, you can't get rid of Netflix. That's my favorite. I'm like, okay, well, uh, how about Hulu? They're like, oh no, that's my favorite, right? So every kid has like a different favorite. And so you get to the end of your month and you realize that lots of money has gone out just to entertainment. Now, if you ask me how important streaming services are in my life, they wouldn't be very high. Do you enjoy them? Yeah, right? Yes, you enjoy them. And maybe you enjoyed them during the pandemic because you're like, there's nothing else to do. I might as well sign up for another streaming service, right? But the truth is, I think if you prioritized and ranked the things and the people in your life as far as importance and then matched up, do you actually spend money on those things? There may be a disconnect, right? There may be a disconnect. The reason I think that's important for us to understand is that there are times when we are communicating something that is vastly different than even what in our heads and our hearts we want. That crowd on that Palm Sunday, I think, fell into that a little bit. Right? Do we use the gifts God's given us to give Him glory? To honor the family and friends around us? To invest in the relationships that He's given us? We look back at our budget and the answer might be yes, but maybe no. Second one is our relationships. What do you communicate in your relationships with one another? Husbands and wives, parents with kids, grandkids, uh, you with your neighbors in your community, what are you saying to them by how you treat them? By how you act around them? What are you saying to them maybe with your own words, but at times... Maybe by not saying anything at all. I think it's a good question for us as well. Because the truth is, our lives, your lives, speak 24-7. We don't have a choice in that, do we? Everything you do, everything you are, communicates something to someone. And we can argue about what that message is in each and every instance. But I think what we can't argue about is that everything you do and who you are and the way you cho choose to use your time and your efforts and your money says something about who you are. You took time out of your Sunday morning when the, sunshine, it's the sun is shining in Colorado to sit in a sanctuary and hear about Jesus. That says something, right? And some of you might be family or friends, and you're like, yeah, they just kind of drag me along, or they promised me brunch afterwards. Number one, that's okay, because food is always good. But number two, we're glad that you're here, right? But it says something. You could have been doing a hundred other things. You are well-adjusted adults, <laughs> generally. <laughs> Most of us are. But you could have been doing a hundred other things. 
And you, you've chose to spend your time hearing of Christ coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? And so everything we do, the way we treat people, communicates something, either explicitly spoken or at times even through the words that we don't use. And so in our relationships, in your relationships, do they give glory to God? Do your relationships uh, um, honor that person or those people? Or at times, are we tempted to use our communication to manipulate, to, to harm? Do we hold grudges? Do we hold things over people's heads, their mistakes, rarely seeing our own? See, the truth is we can communicate in different ways within our relationships. And it's good for us to ask, what message are we sending? And this is the last one. When we consider the power that you have in your life, maybe we'll use this word, influence. When you consider the responsibilities you have and the influence you have over the people around you, what are you communicating? How do you use that influence, right, that power? Is it to, to uh, put yourself in the best possible light? Is it to get yourself ahead, maybe financially, maybe relationally, maybe career-wise? Do you use the relative uh, um, um, power that you have and influence you have for your own goals rather than for the help of the people around you? See, I think that's a good question as well, isn't it? Because each and every one of you have influence and have impact and have responsibilities, right? People care about you and you care about them. And so it's good for us to ask ourselves, what message are we communicating to them, right? I think in this area, sometimes our results are mixed. Sometimes we use it for their good, but quite often for our own good. Mixed messaging in how we live, in the words we speak, in the words we choose not to speak, in those we help, in those we choose not to help, in the actions you endeavor in any given day, all of it, all of us, every inch of our lives communicates something. The only question we get to ask ourselves is, what are we communicating? I think that's important for us to consider today on Palm Sunday, especially as Jesus talks to us about what we ought to be communicating. But here's the good news. Our first lesson actually gave us a little insight into exactly how Jesus spoke, how he communicated, and how he lived his life on your behalf. This is from our first lesson in Philippians. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we ask ourselves, what was communicated from Christ? It was love, it was humility, and it was you. 
Why did Christ ride into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday? It was for you. Why did he use the power that he had, not for his own good, but for the good of others? It was for you. Why did he subject himself to humiliation, to being beaten, whipped, falsely tried, and eventually death on a cross as a common criminal? Why did he do all of those things? Because he was communicating the reality to you. The depth of his love for you. And ultimately, that's what motivates us to even inspect our lives and how we communicate to those around us. It comes from Jesus. He laid down his life for you on the cross. Every word he spoke, every word he chose not to speak, all the actions that he took, the miracles that he performed, and his sacrificial death on the cross communicate a singular reality and truth that you are loved more than you could ever imagine that you are loved enough that he was willing to lay everything down, including his life, so that you would be forgiven and would know eternal life. So when you hear the words of Christ, it's sacrifice, it's love, and it's forgiveness. We get to ask ourselves, are we sharing that same message with those around us? It's kind of a fascinating uh, thing because the Pharisees who were amongst that crowd, who I can only imagine were like, as the crowd was cheering their, their chants, I just picture the Pharisees just like sitting there with like arms crossed, like not going to say it, no Hosanna here, right? Or some of them maybe just like acting, like, like just miming it, right? So, but they were there. They were clearly, uh, had clearly put into practice and into the plan that Christ should die. End of our text says here, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And this is fascinating. Here's Jesus' response. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It's fascinating because the truth is, Jesus' forgiveness is going to have its work and its will with or without us. But we get the privilege of being part of it. Right? We get the privilege of being able to share his love and his forgiveness with the people around us in how we speak, in what we do, and the actions we choose to take. Every inch of us is communicating something to someone. Let it be Christ. Let it be forgiveness. And let it be his love. Jesus says, if I... Tell my disciples to be quiet. Even the stones will cry out to what is happening here in Jerusalem on that Passover day. Right? The reason it's interesting that Jesus uses that illustration, though, uh, even the stones will cry out. Uh, about five chapters later, uh, Jesus talks about some other stones. He talks specifically uh, about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and actually prophesies that which took place in 70 A.D. Uh, if any of you have ever been to Israel, maybe you've seen this. This is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, Wall of Prayer. Um, and if you take a look there at these stones, you can kind of see the huge rectangle, uh, rectangular stones that make up some of the foundation of, of uh, the Temple and uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Um, those are specifically called Herodian Ashlars. So if you know your history just a little bit, um, 
King Herod actually rebuilt the temple. So the temple at Jesus' time was the second temple. It was arguably bigger and more grand than the first temple, Solomon's temple. Um, But Herod rebuilt that kind of as a testimony to his own greatness within the country. And what he used was a building technique called Herodian ashlars. And these were huge stones that that were precisely and intricately cut in order to build the temple mount and eventually the temple on top of it. Oops. There's one right here. Uh, You can see the scale a little bit of the size of that ashlar. You can see that there's usually about a two and a half inch like chiseled indent all the way around them. Um, But these stones were what that temple mount was built on, right? The biggest one in Jerusalem, they estimate at 44 feet long by about 11 feet, by about 8 feet, right? So if any of you are engineers or, or have done construction, are you kind of wondering how they got those ashlars into place when they're that large? Yeah, I was too, so I actually looked it up. They had kind of an ingenious thing. Sometimes they'd use uh, horse and mules and stuff to just physically drag them. But some of these ashlars, then they figure some of the biggest ones, they would actually build wood wheels around them So they would construct wood wheels around the ashlars and then they would be able to roll them into place and then they would dismantle the wood and have them in place. Here's why it's interesting. The fact that Jesus said even the stones will cry out is significant because in a few chapters he would talk about not one stone would be left on top of another on that temple mount and in Jerusalem. Jesus was basically saying "This, this city is going to be raised to the ground and then will my message continue to go out truth is it will and actually as I studied for this sermon and I looked at instances of stones and how they were used in the Bible there's like way more than I ever thought so um, this is your homework for the coming week think of like all the ways that stones were either used or used as illustrations but for our sake today there's just two that I want to focus on because I think these are the two that matter for us on this Palm Sunday The first is from Luke 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The Greek word used here is lithos. There's several words in the Greek that can be used as stone, right? Lithos, petros, and a few others. Um, But the one Jesus uses in our text today is lithos. The one that is used here as the stone in front of the tomb is the same word lithos. And it's interesting because there's a little bit of a variation there, but quite often lithos is used to describe a stone that is used in building or for a purpose. And so when Jesus says stones are going to cry out, he's talking about stones that have purpose. And then after his resurrection, that lithos, that stone, is rolled away. That term stone is used one more time in 1 Peter 2.5. It says this about you. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So because of that stone rolled away from the tomb, because Christ was not left in that tomb and had risen triumphantly, you now are called living stones, right? And so in a sense, the stones are crying out. (laughs) Through us, 
through you, through your life, the things you do, the things you don't do, all the actions, all of the communication that makes up who you are to the people around you, all of it cries out and communicates. The good news we have, the joy we have, the privilege we have as stones built into a spiritual temple is that we get to share Christ and forgiveness. There's probably a limitation to how much you can learn from just a stationary stone. Good news is you guys aren't stationary and we're not merely stones. But we get the opportunity and this at the beginning of Holy Week is probably no better time than any other time, right? To actually speak. To share the love of Christ, who he is, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, but most importantly, his resurrection from the dead and that stone rolled away. Lord's blessings as you speak. Lord's blessings as you communicate. Lord's blessings as living stones as you live your life in glory of God. Amen.